Wow, good job, gang. That was quite festive. And uh, I hope you will all register for our Covenant Pines retreat. We had over 90 people there last year. I'd love to have over 100 people this year, and I would love for us to reach our $10,000 goal for the Moms program. So if you'd like to push us over the top this morning, uh, please do so. All right, we are heading into our teaching this morning. Uh, I am Brad. If you don't know me, we will be doing Q&A after the message. Uh, So if you have a question, you can type a text to that number that's on the screen right there, or you can write out a question on the Ask Pastor Brad card. Uh, also, we are going, I'm going to make myself available because this is a sensitive issue. I'm going to make myself available after the service um, right here. And so if you have more questions after we dismiss and want to come down, we can talk more. And I'll just field some more questions after the service. Jill will be out at the welcome table with Pastor Shar. All right. Um, we've been in a series on the body. This is actually the last Sunday of this series. We've been in this series for five months, actually. And the last two weeks, we've been talking about our body selves as they relate to our uh, Uh, LGBTQ plus neighbors, friends, and family members. And fundamental to that exploration was seeing these relationships in light of the way that Jesus came to this world. If you would, please read this with me. We have seen... uh, Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to start... Sorry. I'm going to start with the sentence right before this and then join me. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we talked uh, about how a lasting, loving relationship must always have two sides of the love coin. The two sides of the love coin are grace and truth. If we have a relationship and all we have is truth in that relationship without grace, then we are going to crush the relationship because truth without grace crushes. Uh, None of us are completely perfect all the time. And so if we have nothing but truth, we will not be able to sustain this relationship. Conversely, If all we have is grace, but no truth, we have a dishonest relationship. And a dishonest relationship is completely unsustainable in a healthy way. And so a loving relationship must have both both grace and truth. We've talked about grace and truth in the context of our lives with our lesbian, gay, bisexual friends, family members, and neighbors. But what about our transgender friends, neighbors, and family members. That's our topic today, and I want to give credit where credit is due. The bulk of what I'm going to talk about needs to, the the credit needs to reside in a gentleman named Preston Sprinkle, who's a PhD, who has studied these things. He wrote a book called Grace 2.0, and the bulk of what I'm going to say is taken from from, uh, his thinking. Let's pray before we get started. Holy God, we are grateful for the opportunity to come before you and be learners. We long to apprentice ourselves to the Spirit of Christ, to your Word, which is true, to the Word made flesh, which is Jesus. 
holy God, all of us have blinders. I do. Every person in this room has blinders. We pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see what it means to love with grace and truth. Give us eyes to see what it means to walk as Jesus is King, to live in the kingdom under His rule and reign, to seek to be faithful to You and Your ways over all things. In Your name we pray. Amen. Something I've done the past couple of weeks is I've asked uh, some people in the room, because we're talking about sensitive things, to pray for uh, me, to pray for uh, everyone in this room, because the enemy of God, uh, we, we, we uh, live in a world where there's a spiritual battle going on. And so would some people be willing to pray for just the unity of our body? Thank you, Carolyn. Can I get thank you, Karen? Maybe a couple people, thank you, thank you. Okay, so we have four um, and this is just a good practice for us as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you're ever in here and, and you're thinking, wow, I'll bet that's hard for someone to hear, immediately pray into that. Or maybe you're, you're looking at me and you're thinking, wow, he just seems really tired. <laughs> Holy God, please inspire Pastor Brad with the power of your spirit so he communicates well. All right, so let's be a praying body as we're together, shall we? Very good. Um, 2017, Time Magazine featured a story called Beyond He or She. The focus of the article was the changing meaning of gender and sexuality, particularly among today's young people. The article notes, and I quote, In one large-scale survey released in 2016, respondents were asked to write in the term that best fits their gender. And researchers received more than 500 unique responses. 18-year-old Rowan Little, who identifies as gender fluid, sums up the feelings of many of his contemporaries. Some days I feel like my gender could be like what I was assigned at birth, but there are some days when I feel the opposite way. Is this thinking new to you? I was talking to some people this week, and as we were talking about this, they're like, whoa, this is new thinking for me. Did you know that today, if you signed up for Facebook, if you're, if you're a late adopter, and, and today was the day you, you registered for Facebook, you would be given over 70 different options when it comes to how you want to be known in your gender assignment uh, on Facebook. Hmm. Some of those would include man, woman, Gender neutral, gender fluid, gender non-conforming, gender questioning, gender queer, gender variant, etc. So how are we as followers, followers of Jesus, to be full of grace and truth, surrounded by people who are made in the image of God, but consider themselves gender non-conforming? I think it might be helpful to just start with some definitions. Let's start with the T of LGBTQ. T stands for transgender. Transgender is an umbrella term for the various ways in which some people experience incongruence between their biological sex and their gender identity. Simply put, a transgender person often feels like they are trapped in the wrong body. While they may have the anatomy of a male or female, they feel their true self cannot be boxed in by the gender 
indicated by their anatomy. And note, most transgender people have not actually gone under uh, a sex chain or sex reassignment surgery, so you, you don't have to have transitioned surgically or medically to be considered transgender. Another helpful term is gender dysphoria. So uh, if gender euphoria is you are uh, happy or content with your gender, gender dysphoria would be involving a conflict between a person's physical or assigned gender and the gender with which they identify. By the way, some gender dysphoric people would actually not classify themselves as transgender, and some transgender people would actually not classify themselves as gender dysphoric. Are you confused? <laughs> I'm a pastor, so we're going to keep me in my lane uh, as to the best of my ability. What does the Bible say about gender issues? To start, we will start at the start. Genesis 1 and 2. Now, Genesis 1 and 2, we've come back again and again to Genesis 1 and 2 throughout this series. And the reason is... Throughout the rest of the scriptures, Genesis 1 and 2 are really the foundation for how the rest of the scriptures look at issues of sexuality and gender. Okay? So it's kind of the foundation. It's, just not, it's not just a great way to start a story. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, even in the eyes of Jesus, are foundational. So Genesis 1.27 says, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. Now, could God have created 71 or 700 uh, different genders to bear his image? He absolutely could have. But God chose instead to create two complementary image bearers. So from a biblical perspective, we would say God's image is reflected in both males and females. If we continue to Genesis 2, we have the next account of gender creation. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, if you would go on, go on a thought process journey with me here. We talked in the beginning of our series about how the Hebrew word for man is Adam. It sounds like the Hebrew word for ground, which is the word Adama. Thus, God formed a man from the ground, or we could say an Adam from the Adama. Then later in uh, chapter 2, the woman is formed from the rib of the man. And we talked about how that word for rib is actually not word used for rib anywhere else in the Old Testament. It's used in other places as an equal support for architectural structures. Like in the temple, in the ark, that word for rib is the same word that is used in those contexts. So... Again, follow along with me. So God didn't take an eternal soul and insert it into a body. God breathed the breath of life into these bodies, and then they became living beings. And as I stated earlier in our series, we are not souls with bodies. We are embodied souls. Now, why is this important to our conversation today? Well, it's common today to think of our bodies as some sort of tabula rasa, 
as some sort of blank slate that my inner me can project upon this physical being. We think of the body as kind of, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a person, my, me, I'm traveling around in this body. I'm no more me than uh, I am my Honda CRV. Okay? So I travel around in a vehicle, but the real me is not the vehicle. The real me is something uh, inside. But biblically speaking, the me that is physical is the me that is non-physical. So, for example, if you were to leave this building, if your body walked out of here, you would not be here. Right? When you walked into this building, you would arrive. Uh, If I were to punch you, you would say, Pastor Brad, why did you hit me? Right? Um, Let me me give you one more that I thought was clever. Um, Oh, it's not clever. It's just biblical. (laughs) Our eternal life, as I've reminded us, is embodied. You forever will have a physical being when the new heavens and the new earth come together. We are embodied souls, so to speak. That's from a biblical perspective. The scriptures do not tell a story where one's internal sense of self or one's gender identity gets to overrule bodily existence. I'll say it again. As we look at the grand narrative of the scriptures, the scriptures do not tell a story where one's internal sense of self One's gender identity gets to overrule one's bodily existence. There is one instance that critics sometimes bring up, and I'll just note it here. First century eunuchs. Uh, Jesus comments, Matthew 19, 12, For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, We don't have time to unpack that, and I've never done a sermon on that particular passage. But let me just say, it would be a mistake to think in this particular context that Jesus is creating a new gender identity. Okay, A a, a eunuch was simply someone in that time who was born uh, infertile, or someone who had been castrated, or someone who chooses to live non-sexual. Uh, Preston Sprinkle believes that Jesus brings up the eunuch uh, to elevate singleness as a God-honoring vocation and to show that God's kingdom has a special place for those who have been othered by society. But it wasn't, in that culture, it wasn't that a eunuch was seen as non-male. A eunuch was always seen as someone who was male uh, but had um, been castrated. (laughs) Preston Sprinkle believes that this highlighting, highlighting of Jesus of the other is a way of Jesus saying the other, that person who has been othered by society, actually has a place in the kingdom. Which is a very, very important uh, thing to note in our context. Because a lot of people, people who are transgender, people who are gay, often feel like they have been othered by our culture. Does the kingdom of God have a place for those people who feel like they've been othered? 
And yes, there is a place in the kingdom. In the kingdom of God, the other, though, is actually never your identity. In the, in the kingdom of God, the other is actually not, never your identity. Other might be a label that the culture has placed upon you. Other might be a label that uh, you maybe have placed upon yourself. But in the kingdom of God, who do I think I am is replaced by whom does God say I am. In that Time Magazine article I mentioned, I read this. In older generations, people were often told what feelings to have. This comes from a health professor at the University of Texas. She, she continues, the college students I'm working with today really say, it's okay for me to be me, whatever that is. And while I sympathize with that sentiment, a biblical perspective provides actually better hope than whatever. That is, from a biblical perspective, we are actually designed by God, designed by the Master, to be be inhabited by Himself, by the Spirit of Christ, set apart for a sacred vocation, uh, to love God and to love others in identities that we have been given by the One who created us. 1 Corinthians 6.20, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. That's a fundamentally different truth than what a lot of people are walking through in our culture with. Most of us walk through culture thinking, well, I'm my own and I can do whatever I want. You do you, I'll do me, right? And I believe the Bible lovingly says, neither you nor I actually get to define you or I. These bodies are not our own. They're designed by the Master to be vessels of the Spirit of God. Thus, they should be used for God's purposes. We are to honor God with our bodies. But of course, this raises uh, the next question. What does it mean to honor God with our gender? Or maybe put differently, how much of our gender expectations are cultural or biblical? For example, when God gave instructions for the building of the tabernacle, he chose two men, Bezalel and Oholiab. He chose them, the text says, to, quote, make artistic designs. And, continuing, to, quote, engage in all kinds of crafts. Now, show me the men's ministry in America that leads with, we're going to engage on, in all kinds of crafts on Wednesday. Right? And we laugh at that. Why? Because culturally speaking, to engage in all kinds of crafts sounds like something feminine. But that's not necessarily feminine. That, that's just a, that's a cultural uh, assumption that we have about uh, what is masculine. Take another example, uh, David, King David. So was David most manly when he was uh, wielding the sword or when he was playing the harp and writing poetry? Or take Deborah, Judges 4. Uh, Deborah, uh, was she less feminine when she was leading Israel into battle. 
Or uh, take the Proverbs 31 woman. I don't know if you know this, but Proverbs 31 kind of gives this long uh, list in Proverbs about what it means to be uh, a biblical woman. So, uh, the Proverbs 31 woman, is she more woman when she's, quote, providing food for her family? Or when, quote, she considers a field and buys it out of her earnings, planting a vineyard? Hmm. And then, of course, there's Jesus. Was Jesus more manly when he was overturning the tables of the money changers or when he was weeping over Jerusalem? Yet today, a number of our parents in our culture are kind of hyper-vigilant looking at the behavior of their children and teenagers, thinking things like, well, my son plays with dolls or likes to wear his sister's dresses, and he wants to identify as a girl, so I think we should honor that request. Or, my daughter loves football and likes to wrestle, and she wants to identify as a boy, so I think we should honor that request. But question, are we really willing to make an assessment of major life issues with a young person based on what really are cultural gender stereotypes? Let me flip this a different way. Someone who's anorexic believes they are overweight. They have bodily dysphoria. They organize their lives actually around the misperception of reality. Is the loving way to respond to someone who's anorexic, oh yes, I want to affirm your perception of reality. You are overweight. Well, no, that wouldn't make sense. Actually, that would be unloving, and that would be dangerous. There's actually a mental disorder called BIID, which stands for Body Integrity Identity Disorder. People suffering from BIID have an intense desire to amputate a major limb or sever their spinal cord in order to become paralyzed, believing their perfectly healthy limbs no longer work. In what world would it be considered good medicine to amputate a perfectly healthy limb in order to satisfy someone's misperception of reality? Think about it. If my perception doesn't match up with reality, it's not reality that should change. Right? It's my perception that will be best changed. And wouldn't it be unloving for me to enable someone's misperception of reality? So, I know we haven't answered all the questions, and we will not today. But we do live in a world where people are struggling, living in their bodies. How do we walk with them? Well, first of all, we have to listen. The first step has to be listen. The first, first act of love is always listening. Listen to their story with compassion and not judgment. Secondly, as you listen, ask questions. And then ask some more. Let them know you want to hear their story. And then let them know again you want to hear their story. A friend of mine likes the phrase, tell me more about that. 
If I say, tell me more about that, that lets you know I'm open. I want to hear what's going on in your world. Thirdly, affirm love by presence, which simply means don't go away. Think about it this way. You don't have to give someone you love what they want in order to love them. But you do have to walk with them in order to love them. The ministry of presence gives witness to the ever-present God who does not leave anyone who is hurting or struggling. And then finally, seek Jesus together. And yes, of course, uh, they may have no interest in Jesus. Maybe they do. That's okay. You do. The Spirit of Christ is ever-present, seeking to guide you toward Himself. As you walk with this person, your responsibility is simply to continue to walk with them to Jesus, toward Jesus, in whatever way the Spirit of Christ leads you. Temple of His Spirit. Final question, then we'll do some Q&A. What is God calling you to do, change, or pray about? If you could choose one thing I spoke on today to focus on, what would it be? Write it down in your notes, and I pray you will uh, pay attention to that this week. Let's pause there for q and I'm going to invite Pastor Shar up, and Nick is going to join us. And I've tried to go a little shorter today just so we have uh, plenty of time for questions. Um, I would love it if you could focus your questions on today's topic. But if you can't and want to ask a question uh, that comes out of this uh, past month's teaching uh, on, on human sexuality, then feel free to do so. If you have a question that you're writing down... Uh, Ken and our ushers are there, and they would love to grab your question. They'll bring it up to us. Nick. Oh, and as always, uh, I reserve the right to be wrong. Char does not, but... (laughs) No, she reserves the right to be wrong, too. How can we pick and choose which commands in the Bible are relevant today? For example, Jesus commanded that slaves obey their masters, that you should not eat pig, etc., how can we distinguish commands that are outdated versus outdated versus those that are not? Well, I think Brad's talked about this in the past too, but different types of commands. Some are ceremonial, some are moral, some are cultural. Um, so again, the understanding of, of all of Scripture um, and God's heart and message through the entire context of Scripture is helpful to start. I'll add to that. Um, it in ancient Israel, there were what were called uh, Noahic laws. And those laws were, um, if you were a Gentile joining uh, the nation of Israel, uh, you weren't actually expected uh, to live out all of Torah because you weren't Jewish. You're, you're a Gentile. However, you were expected uh, to live by the moral laws created in Torah, specifically uh, laws uh, relating to sexual immorality. How do we react to someone who is LGBTQ or actively practicing any other sin for that matter who says, God will forgive me anyway, so I'm going to, I'm going to live however I want and do whatever I want? Well, (laughs) 
insert whatever whatever sin you'd like to insert to that. How does that play out if that's a general principle? I'm going to cheat on my spouse. I'm going to cheat on my taxes. I'm going to, um, I don't know. You you fill in the blank. Then I guess that opens a door. That type that question opens the door to well, God will forgive me for anything. So um, it goes for me. It comes down to love. Like I I don't. Um, I don't obey my husband or honor my husband because I feel like I have to, but I love him, so I want to. So if you love God, you will want to. If you're walking with God and have a relationship with him, you will want to honor him in your life. Yeah, and I would, I would say it's, it's, always, it's good to remember what we're talking about um, when it comes to the, uh, some of these sexuality issues. Is uh, The real question is not... Um, can someone who is uh, same-sex attracted um, act, act, enact, um, participate in sexual activity and in, in the same line as someone who's uh, heterosexual wanting to participate in sexual activity? It, it, you're really talking about um, can, can two people who are same-sex attracted, who are gay, can they get married and then... Um, uh, have sexual activity within that marriage. See, sex outside of marriage, across whether you're gay or straight, is, is outside of the, the boundaries of God's law. And so you're really talking about one particular um, context when it comes to um, the church and Christianity. Brad, I was given a question, and while I'm answering this question, I'd like to give you this so you could look that over. Uh, this says, for Nick, being that gender issues are so prominent among teens, how would you treat or react to a teen struggling with gender identity in our youth group? Um, first off, anything. I'm trying to build a youth ministry along with my, my leadership team that loves. Uh, we're building a ministry that is accepting, loving, and creating a safe place for, you to, for your teens to come and feel accepted um, and a part of something. So we're going to love you right where you're at, just like Jesus does. And I, yes, <laughs> just the reality that for a teenager, you're not, you're not done yet. You're growing, you're developing, you're figuring things out. So where, where a student is, where a student is wrestling isn't necessarily <laughs> where, they'll end, where they'll end up in the long view. And with that, I guess I would say, again, the posture, uh, no matter kind of where you stand on this issue, the, the posture when it comes to anyone with whom you disagree has to, has to be a fundamental posture of embrace. Okay, We've talked about that within this series quite a bit, that we start with embrace. And uh, you know, every teen, every person that walks into this, to this building, myself, Shar, Nick, uh, we all live in a sexual brokenness because sin infects every, every aspect of our humanity. And so we're all wrestling, you know, that, that you know, could, hey, um, Anna, could you put that, that uh, um, verse that was on the wall when we walked in this morning at 9 a.m.? If you can find that, put that up. Basically, it just, it's just a reminder. We're all saved by grace. We're all saved by God's unmerited favor. And so you, you giving grace is you apprenticing yourself to Jesus. 
Uh, we want to come with truth as well, and that's you know one of the reasons we're talking about this. I'm guessing there's you're not going to go through this uh, the world today and, and and hear some of the things we talked about this morning. You're going to hear our, our young people and uh, our old people. Uh, we're all you know kind of connected to a pipeline of a lot of information, and so part of our job is to say, okay, I understand you've heard this. Um, what does the Bible say? And let's see, let's talk about it from that perspective. So people at least hear, you know what, there are different ways to think about this that aren't what all my friends say. Um, would you argue that biological sex and express gender, so your, your biological sex and, and that way you express that, your gender, uh, must align to satisfy the integrity as a holy creation? Um, or to do God's will. Um, I, I don't quite know. The, word, the, 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 the struggle there is the word must, um, because I, you know, I could say to the, the person who's struggling with something else, well, you must do this to align. And it, I don't know, the, the word must is tough there. Um, I do think it is God's call for us to align ourselves in all ways with his lordship. There's no, there's no part of my money, my time, my sexuality, um, my gifts and talents that should not come under the lordship of Christ. And with Christ as king, everything gets to be, Lord, what's your will? And when I align myself with His will, then I, then, then I am walking in that abundant life that God has designed me for. Um, when I stray from that, because sin always has consequences, and, and any straying from God's will is missing the mark. So when I, when I am outside of that, then there, there are negative consequences. You know, I steal a piece of gum at a, at a grocery store. There's a consequence for that. If I have sex outside of marriage, there are relational consequences for that. Now and as I move forward in life, as, as I say, Lord, I don't, I reject the way you made me and I want to move a way that is, that is contrary to the way you made me, there are consequences to that. Because we live in a world that, that has an order, we would say biblically, that an order that is prescribed uh, by God. Let's do. Can, yeah, I, can I just speak to that one? Yeah, yeah. Because my husband's not here this service, I can say this. Okay. <laughs> so there's there are, are there's a, um, what's the, not a specific thing, but a range. There's a range of what it what it looks like to be a female in our culture and a male in our culture. When Kirk and I did our premarital counseling 25 years ago, the pastor who talked to us said that interesting. Kirk has a lot of female qualities and I have a lot of male qualities. My husband likes to garden, he likes to cook, he he just so anyway. That was kind of funny in our premarital, so I don't necessarily like to do some things that a traditional female would enjoy doing. Um, and my husband likes to do some things that stereotypically maybe a female would like to do, but he is male and I am female. <laughs> well, well, Nick thinks of the next one. I'm, I'll, I'll add to that. So, uh, some of you know I was trained as an actor before I got into the ministry. And so, my, my undergrad and my graduate training was all in acting. Um, my guess is uh, I've taken more dance classes than any male in the room. 
I've pro- probably worn tights more than every other male, more than every other male in the room, and um, and I can put on mascara quite quite well. Uh, so uh, just because, and I haven't watched the Super Bowl in years either. <laughs> so a- am I less manly biblically? No, not at all. Is it a sin for a heterosexual man to dress in a more feminine way, such as wearing makeup? <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you know, it's interesting. There, there is a passage in Deuteronomy, I don't know ex- the exact reference, that basically says uh, uh, men should not dress like women. Um, and there are... In, in the New Testament, you know, kind of some, Paul gives uh, what we would argue are, are cultural prescriptions for um, uh, females. Um, and, well, and then, you know, the long hair and so forth, it, it, that comes up in the scriptures. I think that what, what gets hard about that is um, how much of it is uh, cultural. So, for example, the way Jesus dressed uh, in some cultures, even American culture, uh, today we would say, well, that's kind of feminine probably, the flowing robe and so forth. Um, uh, for uh, some cultures at different times, it's okay to have a beard. Sometimes it's not okay to have a beard. Um, I, I think um, the, the heart of God's, the, the, the substance of the, the commands in, when it comes to these issues is um, God has made you to be you, and, um, and that you is not disconnected from your body self. And so uh, I would say kind of a blanket statement would be to live out that body self according to the way you've been created. Yeah? Let's end there. And uh, thank you very much. You two may sit down. I recognize um, all this is, as someone said to me recently this week, um, these things are easy to talk about until it's you or until it's uh, someone in your family, um, someone who's uh, intimately involved in your life. And so with that, uh, let's go to God in prayer, uh, recognizing that we're all seeking to walk this well And it's very, very hard. Let's pray. Holy God, we come before you recognizing that we are saved by grace. Yet within that, you call us to faith. You call us to trust you and to believe you, to trust what you have done, what you are doing, and what you will do. And with that faith, Lord, we get to imagine that you are able to do more than we can imagine, more than we can think about. And so with that, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill each of us and that we would, be, uh, we would receive the eyes and the ears to be led by the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, so that we might walk through this life encountering every neighbor, every family member, encountering ourselves with both grace and truth. 
God, give us a thirst for deeper apprenticeship to you. And with that, Lord, you get to lead. We want you to lead us. Where we are uh, getting it right, pat us on the back. Where we're missing the boat, realign our thinking. Realign our eyes so we follow you well. We thank you, God, for your grace as we walk. In your name we pray. Amen.